how much God just wants to bless us. You know, the promised heart, he just loves us and he just wants to bless us, you know. Um, so I really hope, yeah, that you're blessed by what I'm going to share um, this morning. Have you ever had a conversation uh, with someone that you, you kind of, you didn't recognise them? But then a little bit later on, you're like, uh, I know you. <laughs> I absolutely know you. Well, it, it happened to me, it happened to me quite a lot actually. Um, about two years ago, I went on a school reunion, and um, 30 years since I left the school, and uh, um, so I turned up at this, uh, at this venue, and it was the most amazing but surreal thing to, uh, to just be there and see a few faces immediately, you know, you recognise this person and that person. But, but there was one guy in particular, and I'm just sort of uh, um, chatting to him, and, and he's like, Nine, nine. <laughs> and, I, and I suddenly came out and it's like, oh my goodness, I could not even see him. And yet I've known this guy for about 10 years. I've gone to the same school as him and all the way through. And, uh, I mean, the one thing I do remember him for is that uh, on the, uh, the last day of sixth form, as we were um, all sort of preparing to leave, we had a, a, a sort of a, a swimming sports day. At the school, we had an outdoor swimming pool one day. And we all kind of turned up at this, uh, this pool to find there were three large eels in the pool, and this is the guy who had gone and got the eels and his final bark on the school. So he wasn't very happy when I reminded him of that. He said, that's the only thing people remember me for. But, uh, um, but you know, um, I just remember seeing people thinking, blimey, you changed. You changed a lot. I wouldn't have expected you to look like that. <laughs> that's good and bad. That's good and bad. <laughs> there are lots of stories, aren't there, in the Bible which kind of report on you wouldn't have expected it to have turned out like that. Stories, testimonies, where it kind of it seems like it's going in this direction, and then some kind of transformation happens. And, and what are fantastic, love your words, Mike. Transformation is very much part of what I feel God is saying, stirring me at the moment. Um, <clears throat> You know, some of those are kind of like real quick. I mean, look at all the miracles of Jesus as he's walking around and transformation wasn't going in this direction and Jesus turns up. Miracle happens. Change of direction. But then think also after Jesus' resurrection and um, how, you know, transformation in him had happened so much that people couldn't even recognise, you know, that it was him. You know, Mary at first, Gardner. No, it's Jesus when he spoke, and then others um, you know, just couldn't recognize Jesus at first. We'll come back to that point, I think it's something interesting. But we're looking today at some Old Testament prophecies that sort of fling forward to the New Testament. They talk about transformation, they talk about, um, do you know what, you might not think about it, but one day it's going to look like this. So there's real declarations from the Old Testament by prophets into, into the New Testament. So, um, it looks like we're going this direction, but actually, do you know what it's going to be? Not what you think it is. So, I grabbed the opportunity um, to select what I think is a really remarkable prophetic word spoken by a prophet who is really going for a pretty correct time, and that's Jeremiah. Um, his story seems to be characterised, I think probably quite a lot of the prophets are characterised by, by one thing, and he says this, and everybody else does that. He's saying, go this way, God is saying, go this way. And everybody else did not, just ignoring him. His message was often so unpopular that he was very quickly silenced. He would have been locked up in prison. At uh, one instance, you know, he had advised the king 
that you should surrender to the Babylonians. They saw this price. You should surrender to the Babylonians who are seeking to invade. No chance. You know, things are up, but I might hear your advice, but no, I'm not going to do it. And today's message I've actually um, entitled, it's a message from the hole in the ground. Okay, because that is the thing that I kind of remember. Jeremiah mostly for, I don't know if you recall, but there was a point as well, not just being chucked into prison, but he was actually chucked into a cistern, a big hole in the ground, and kind of left there uh, to rot until somebody remembered that he was there and felt it was about right to, uh, to bring him out. So the message this morning, a message from the hole in the ground. But it is so amazing to think about that. He wrote out places of real difficulty. You know, Jeremiah wrote his messages out great difficulty and he, and he wrote messages of great hope. A lot of, a lot of you better do this or else, but there's also in this a message of great hope, and that's what I want to pick up this morning. So Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34, Matthew, we can bring that up now. So, from the ESV, in the middle of the chapter 31, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sins no more. That is an amazing passage, isn't it? What an awesome passage. And what a passage that kind of communicates Father God's heart for people. Now there are four things that sort of jumped out at me from this is really getting the heart of God. This is what God's heart is about. So I just quickly want to run through those four things. The first of them is his heart of redemption. You know, God, he's like, he, he's just passionate about bringing us to him. Isn't he? God has I've got a passion for us, to bring us to him. All of us, our hearts, our whole being, he wants to just restore and redeem and bring us into him. And yet he understands that by nature, you know, we can be rebellious, that we are rebellious, we have it written within us. Um, you know, God is a very long-suffering, isn't he? He's very patient. He's very quick to forgive, very slow to anger. He is going to do something about it. You know, the passage talks about him being the husband and the implications of that, about the unfaithfulness of the, of the, uh, of, of the bride, of the, of the Israelites at the time. So God's heart of redemption that he wants to work within us is the first part of his heart communicated. The second thing that I felt communicated that is his heart of revelation. You know, God desires to reveal himself to us. He desires to open our eyes, okay? 
And what God is saying in this passage is nothing short of miraculous, actually. He's saying it's no longer about law abidance out here. I'm going to come inside of you, and I'm going to work something miraculous from the inside out of you. God's going to step in and free us from our inability to sort ourselves out. I mean, imagine what that must have sounded like to the audience of Jeremiah at the time. Of course, now we're looking back in time, you know, from New Testament, back through the crossing, yes, well, we kind of can see now um, how that's sort of working out. So back at the fall, um, obviously we know that sort of uh, sin became part of the human makeup, and then the law came along, and the law made us kind of conscious of sin, okay, and uh, uh, which is the sort of flip side. The law is good, as Trevor sort of explained to us a couple of weeks ago, but the flip side of it is it also made us become aware of our inability to, to, to meet its expectations. Um, and the effect of that is it sort of brings up guilt inside of us, it brings up uh, condemnation, and ultimately when we realise that we just can't achieve it, it leads us into rebellion. Um, and, and so that is the, 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 the negative side of the outworking of the law. Um, whereas Romans 8 then says to us, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And it is, it is the spirit that is given to us because of Jesus' sacrifice that works within us to empower us to move free from condemnation and rebellion. As I said, imagine, you know, imagine the, the audience of Jeremiah thinking, how the heck is this going to work? How is God going to come inside of me? How is he going to bring about that transformation? Um, how is he going to write the law on my heart? So that's redemption, that is revelation. The third part of God's heart that I feel the passage is communicating is his, it's his invitation to intimacy. I will be their God, and they will be my people. You know, Brian last week talked about, they shall be my people. You know, that's a real invitation to enter the family, come into my family where I care and I look after my people. This passage goes even one step further than they shall be my people. It says, and they shall all know me. They shall all know me from the least to the greatest. Let me ask, is there anything more amazing than being known and knowing? Is that not the cry of all of us who want to be loved, who look to love? Is I want to be known, and I want to know. I want to be known, and I want to know. That's God's invitation, you know? I want, to, I want you to love me. I want you to know me, and I want to know you. It's the basis for the deepest of relationships. You know, there's such a great family heart that's communicated through this passage. All are welcome. All of us can know this intimacy with God. And it's amazing, isn't it? Despite the fact that God is the creator of the whole universe and everything, that he also makes himself accessible us individually. Yeah, he makes it himself accessible at our personal level. You know, he knows everything that's going on inside of each one of our lives. And he's like, oh, I'm right here. 
I'm right here, I know you, Nick. I know everything that's going on. I know the stuff that you're having to walk through. I know the goods, the bads, the uglies. You know, and I'm right here with you. You know, we can look at every single one of you, and I can say that is truth that God knows you and is seeking just to know you even more and want to be even closer in that intimacy. He knows what's going on in our lives. And then the fourth thing that the heart of God through this passage communicates is, is sort of value and equality. They shall all know me. You know, he treats us very individually as well as corporately as a body. You know, it is in God's heart, isn't it, to lift up the downtrodden and to give them a voice. You know, he's about equality. Yes, there's difference, but equality about everybody is valued, everybody is held up, everybody is invited. You know, God seeks to be himself through us, through us all, you know. He wants to meet the world through us, you know. He wants us to know him, and then he wants to meet others through us, which is quite a remarkable thing that he would choose to do. That's what he says he wants to do. So you might, at the end of that, think, well, that's amazing, isn't it? That, at the time, Jeremiah's audience would say, I didn't expect that from the passage. And it is such a wonderful passage from a guy who's trapped in a hole. But what if you are in that hole today? You know, sometimes these words, they can feel distant. They can feel a bit unbelievable. Maybe that's great, that's for heaven. But for today, for this week, maybe this month even, this season, I don't feel it. I don't always get it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, actually, do you know what? I do hear all of what you just shared about God's heart, but I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling to sort of get that. I would just say, you know what? You're not in bad company. You're not on your own. I want to have a little bit, share a little bit of my testimony because uh, at the moment I have myself been walking through a real trouble. Um, about a couple of months ago, um, a couple of health issues arose and uh, um, as you do, you sort of ignore at first and eventually you sort of start to, to start plaguing you when these things don't go away and I speak to the doctor, and the doctor starts to say, got to go have some tests, got to have a check out. And, and slowly my mind starts going over time and starts to think about all of these things. And I start ending up in this cycle of starting to think through all the problems, all the things. And you start to go down this crazy route of what if this, what if that, what if this. And, and inevitably it ends up in a bad place. And, and uh, I've realised in myself um, that this is a weakness of mine. This is something that I naturally gravitate towards what I might term health anxiety. You know, it's something that I've seen at various points in my life, and uh, I haven't experienced it for a few years, but uh, in the last couple of months, it has really reared its head in a huge way to me, to the point where I found that, uh, you know, I'm not able to operate at times in my daily life. You know, there have been instances where I'm just struggling to do what's normal, because my mind is just being dominated with the anxiousness and the fear of being worried about something. Um, and I would say it's kind of opened up in me what I'd say is a stronghold in my life. Okay? Now, I want to talk a little bit about strongholds. Um, 
you may or may not have heard that term before. Um, I think it quite, you know, a good way of thinking about it is to think about like Jericho, think about a city, think about a city with great uh, walls and defences all around it, think about uh, streets and alleyways um, running through it. And if you imagine a city like that, and then you could apply that to your, the way that your mind and your thinking operates, it's almost like um, patterns of thinking and behaviour that we kind of can default to when we're confronted with those things that want to make us frightened or fearful or anxious. You know, strongholds are kind of cities of fear within our minds, okay? There can be fear of death. And, you know, in fact, I think we probably categorize the majority of most strongholds into two groups. It's either the fear of death and illness, or it's the fear of man, the fear of what people, other people will think. Now, of course, there are others as well, but I'd say that generalizes, that covers quite a lot. I think it's important that we also gain a little bit of perspective on this, because, you know, it's absolutely normal in human life, isn't it, in our fallen world, that we walk through life and we experience times where there is fear, there is anxiety and, and worries about things. And, and I'm not really talking so much about that, I'm talking about when it becomes something within you that is a real stronghold, when it grabs hold of you and starts to um, really imprison you in a place where you feel, I cannot break free from this, I'm really struggling to step into this because I'm, uh, it's too big for me to overcome. Left in a stronghold, you know, you can spiral into an unhelpful place. And you can be trapped in thinking and subsequent behavior patterns that you kind of establish to try and help you cope. And I've noticed that I actually make myself unwell by thinking about if I'm being unwell. And I've realized that I can manifest more physical symptoms in my life because of the silliness of my thinking through this. In my struggles on this, I have also realized it is, it is kind of hard for me to let the peace of God in to that part of me. It's almost like a stronghold is a place where I'm yet to know God's presence within me. I kind of know it in other places, I know it in other parts of my life, but when it comes to this, when this starts to predominate, I dominate, I don't know his presence in me. I become more conscious of the wind and the waves rather than Christ, rather than Jesus alive in me. Now, I don't believe that God has given me the ailments and stuff that I'm struggling with, but I do believe that it is Father God's heart that I wouldn't be bound up by the fear that wants to attack itself to that stuff. Okay? And I believe, I really believe that God wants to set me free from the stronghold of this fear of illness and death that I struggle with throughout my life. I also believe that He wants to set us all free from whatever stronghold or struggles and fear that you guys may also struggle with. Some of you may not, some of you may. And it may not be health anxiety, it may be something to do with worrying about other things. And he wants to do that so that we would know him even more deeply, 
people more. It's like I want to come into that place of your heart, that place of your of your life as well, so that you would know me in that place as well. The stronghold is to come down, and his presence, his peace, is to fill that place. Now, I don't think it's coincidental actually that it's Palm Sunday today. And Palm Sunday, to me, is the point when Jesus entered into the stronghold of Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem was the political and religious centre for the region. You know, it's where the temple was, and all the corruption that was going on there. It was where Rome's presence was, where it's felt most, and with obviously the public executions and the abuse of authority going on there, then you know you could imagine that there must have been a heck of a lot of fear in Jerusalem at the time that Jesus led his disciples into the stronghold of Jerusalem. But no one, Jesus is never deterred by fear. To be a disciple of Jesus means I believe there are times where he's going to lead us into places where our strongholds have to be confronted. That's hard. I don't want it. But it's in that place where Psalm 51, 17 really was spoken to me. It says, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. My experience when I've been working through being in this stronghold, I felt broken, I felt really humbled, I felt very weak, I felt empty, I felt vulnerable, I felt exposed and I've certainly felt, just get me out of here, I don't want to be here. But I had the sense that there is a process that God's taking me through and I've you know, you stand on the truth, you pray, you declare, you, you, you want it to live, you want it to, to be God, and you do the stuff. And as I've been prayed for by people, it's been great. I felt little bits of freedom here and there, but I'm convinced that there is a greater work of deliverance that God wants to bring about. But it's a, a mountain isn't going to be cast in the sea, you're going to go over the mountain for this one. God wants to complete a work in us. He wants to free us from fear. He wants to deliver us from evil. Yeah. That is in the Lord's prayer. He wants to deliver us from evil. And it seems to me that isn't always done on our terms. Now, maybe you're in a place at the moment where this is you, actually, to know what I am struggling with something. I have been struggling, um, and I, there will be an opportunity when we get the band back. I'd like to um, pray, and we'll, I want to declare some, some truths as well about you know, who we are in Christ. Um, but I just want to return to the Jeremiah passage, because sometimes for me, I find that I, I kind of want to understand a little bit about how this is working out, you know, what is God's way of delivering from the stronghold. Now, I can't, we can't understand all this stuff, you know. But there's something that did jump out of me from that passage that I just want to um, go back to. So, um, Matthew, are you able to bring up verse 34? <coughs> um, okay. 
So yeah, verse 34 says, But I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And the message translation of that last line says, I'll forget they ever sinned. Can God actually forget? Apparently, he can. That's got me a bit weird. What would you like to forget? I kind of am pretty good at remembering stuff that I, I want to forget. <laughs> but I forget stuff that I'd like to not forget. Well, there is hope because it seems that God can forget stuff. You know, one of the schemes of the enemy, of evil, is to sow disinformation. You know, he wants to bring us back to the problem. He wants to take us off mission. He wants to get our eyes off Christ. He wants to remind us of old patterns of thinking, of ways of dealing with stuff. He wants to remind us of the struggle. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And so, within the flesh of mankind, you know, we carry about the knowledge or the potential for carrying about the knowledge of evil. But it's not the way that we've been designed, you know, to do it. We can't handle it. We're not designed to handle the knowledge of evil. It will rot us. So what if our salvation includes removal from our minds the knowledge of evil? What if salvation includes setting us free from strongholds, ways of thinking that cause us to enter into and get stuck in kind of these pathways of fear? You know, the Bible says it tells us to work out your salvation as though there's a, like a continual element to it. I feel like I'm on a journey of working out salvation from a fear of death and illness. I don't like the journey, but I know that the end destination is a great place. And I do believe part of it is reworking something in me as to how I remember and you know what I'm not to remember, what is dealing in my mind, that I may even forget certain aspects of old patterns of thinking. So I started this morning by uh, considering transformation and change. The almost unrecognisable resurrected Jesus perhaps provides a little bit of an insight into God's work of removing from our minds the effect of sin, the knowledge of evil. But there was one thing that was left when he appeared, wasn't it, before Thomas, he says, actually, on my hands and on my feet, you will remember. And maybe in heaven, we will, well, not maybe, in heaven, we will not remember evil, but we will remember one thing, something through the hands and the feet. You accomplish for us. Something amazing you accomplish for us, our beautiful sin. I'd like to finish really by getting us all to stand. I would like to declare some truths 
Brings our chaos back into the world. Who brings our chaos? <laughs> 